Welcome to the Evolving Enterprises podcast, stories of growth and transformation. At the moment, we're focusing on decision-making, and I have with me Prashel, my latest recruit, and we're going to talk today about getting the right information to the right place, about how you use that information and evidence to make decisions. We're going to talk about attenuation how you reduce information content, how we we have to reduce information content, and how analysis can help us. And ultimately, how do we know if we've made the right decision? So in terms of getting the right information, the first place to start is very much around, well, what do we want to do? What decisions do we want to make? And whenever I ask an organisation that, they say to me, hmm, that's an interesting question. Well, The decisions we make normally are about the production schedule and the meeting schedule and the review schedule and the risks and all those sorts of things. And I say, yes, but are those the decisions that you really need to be making or they're the decisions that you want to make? And again, they generally look look at me a little bit blankly because I do ask quite difficult and awkward questions sometimes. And my my aim is not to ask difficult and awkward questions. My aim is to help organisations to grow. And the way we grow and transform is we have to do things differently. And of course, doing things differently involves you know, an element of change, it involves you know, organising things in a, in a slightly different way. And so what I'm ultimately trying to get at is, why are you here? What is it that you're hoping to do? What's the purpose of your organisation? And there's, there's a lot of work that's been done on organisations that are sort of in the free market that are involved in classic competition. But there's actually heaps of organisations that aren't really in the free market. There's a lot of local councils around in the UK. There's a lot of not-for-profit organisations worldwide. And they, they're all there to, to, to serve a purpose. Their goal is not to be the market leader. Their goal is not to you know, achieve phenomenal profit. But they're there to do a really good job. And they're very important organisations for the communities that they serve. So making sure that we understand what is a good decision is is key. And so it starts from the top. It starts from what do you want to achieve as an organization and what's your purpose? What's your where where are you? Why do you exist? What is it that you want to do? And when we get back to that purpose and we get back to why do you exist and what do you want to do, we can then work out, well, okay, in order to achieve that, what what must you do? If you wanted to look back in 10 years' time and say, hey, we've done the following great things. Well, what would you have to what would you have to do? And then what has to be in place to achieve those? And there are some wonderful diagrams that I get people to draw. And we can do it, do it with post-it notes. We can do it with diagrams. We can do it online. There are some online tools that replicate the um, post-it note sessions. But essentially what I do is I get them to start at the top and I get them to say, OK, so you are here to do what? You are here for what purpose? Is it about serving members, serving a community, being the best something or other, you know, delivering the best something, service, best product? What is it that you are here to do? And beneath that, in order to do that, what has to be in place? So if you're there to be the best tea service supplier, then maybe what you've got to do is be really responsive. Maybe you've got to be a really responsive, really knowledgeable supplier. Maybe also to remain in business, you've got to be quite efficient. So that means that you've got to be both responsive and efficient. And underneath those pillars can sit a number of things. They can sit your strategy to achieving AI 
you know your your strategy for getting people to log you know log what's going on and and a, an automatic sort of you know response comes back which will always fix their problem wouldn't that be amazing it would be an awesome thing <laughs> so underneath all of those those pillars you will end up with with actions that you can take and so that that's really the framework which sets up what the right information is what the right evidence is and it's brilliant because it works really well with with two different types of people so we're Generally, people either think sort of top down or bottom up. And by that, I mean, you know, people traditionally on boards of companies tend to think about, well, what's what's this in the world? What is this? If I'm going to create a new IT company, who else is there out there that I'm competing with? Who, what else is a great IT company? How much greater do I have to be than them in order to do really well? So that's that's sort of a top down approach. Bottom-up thinking is, well, I want to be a great IT company. I need to be good at fixing computers. Therefore, you know, how do I get to the point where I can fix everything that can possibly go wrong with, I don't know, Windows 10 or Windows 11 or whatever it happens to be? And that's the sort of bottom-up approach, thinking about all the, the small pieces and how do you put the jigsaw together? Mm -hmm. Now, neither approach is either right or wrong. And, you know, there have been plenty of papers written about, you know, how people think. Both approaches, though, are essential. Because if you live too much in a top-down world, you'll be like those sort of politicians who wave their hand around and say, we are going to achieve whatever it is. And that has no substance behind it whatsoever. That's a political, you know, we are going to achieve something and we've got not the foggiest clue about how to deliver it. We'll hurl it into the civil service and hope for the best. If you're too much bottom-up, you'll miss the point. You'll tend to do something that's really great that's maybe a bit too late to market, maybe, you know, in a different age at a different time, may have been really good. But right now, it's probably not quite attuned. So actually, the combination of the two works beautifully. If you've got somebody who's got that top-down view of, right, here's what the world's doing. Here's where we need to fit into it. Now, can you engineer me a X, a widget, a computer, an AI algorithm to achieve that? Then you, you can get something that works really, really well. And bringing together those personality types is is so important. Yeah. You can you can end up in a situation where they fight each other. You know, the, the bottom up people will be saying, oh, that top down lot, they don't know what they're talking about. They come in here with these big hand wavy gestures. They haven't got a clue. And, you know, the, the, the sort of people who look at the view of the world from the top will be tending to say to the others, they get fed up, fed up with them. And they're in the minutiae all the time. They bring me figures. Winston Churchill, the great war leader, had this, this wonderful sort of expression for dealing with people who infuriated him he he was forever being brought data and evidence and, and and nothing he could make decisions from and he was talking to someone one day and he said well i like this chap he brings me information and evidence he can help me make decisions he said i don't like the air ministry they bring me files 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 <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it is you, you you need information and evidence that can help you and so that's that sort of first step of the big diagram at the top yeah. on uh, how you uh, can sort of achieve your strategy and why you're achieving your strategy. And then all the links into what you're going to do are so powerful and so important. You get both personality types together and they'll work together on that diagram. The people, Some people will start at the bottom, some will start at the top and they'll meet in the middle and they'll have a really wonderful discussion about, is this right for us? Is the, the, the sort of other set of projects we've got to achieve your strategy right? Are they doing the right things? Are they delivering the right things? And that's the first step. That's the first step in getting the right information uh, and evidence into an organisation and making the right decisions. You said that the use of both bottom-up and top-down together is very important. Are there any situations where using one is would be better than the other? Are there any times when you should prioritise one over the other? 
I think it depends very much on what you're trying to deliver. So if you are, I, I was, I've been involved in a few, few activities over the years where you, you've got no sort of, you're, things can't go wrong in a sense. You've, you've got to do all your risk mitigation beforehand. Mm. And if, if it goes wrong on the day, you're in big trouble. You know, good, good examples are when you're, you know, you're launching a product, when you're setting up an, an experiment that you're going to let the world see, you, you can't have it go wrong. And so in that situation, you need to do a lot of bottom-up thinking. You need a top-down direction, right, we want to achieve X, but you need to do that bottom-up thinking. Yeah. And not only do you need the bottom-up thinking, but you need the what I would describe as red teaming. You need the people who come along who can do bottom-up thinking, but those people will say, hmm, let's just see what could go wrong with this, shall we? Let's, let's put the hat on of it's all going to go horribly wrong, and let's think about how it goes horribly wrong. They're the kind of people that you you don't bring to a new innovation startup meeting. They're the kind of people you don't say, hey, we've got this wonderful new, I don't know, iPhone or whatever it is, because they'll say, humbug. I'm using the one with the, the dial on the front. My telephone has a dial. Understand, I don't need these things. Smartphones are not for me. I know you like them, but it's not for me. So they, those sorts of people are brilliant for getting the, the last details right. Because the, the, what you don't want to do is pitch up to something and you know you're pre you press the button, you're ready to go live and you're missing that one cable. Or you just have that little bit of software tweak that you need to do and it's not done. You know, the, the history is full of people who've been trying to launch things like that and it, it doesn't go well. You know, it's you, you end up with a very stressed team, even if it does work. And I have been in situations where I've watched people lead you know, through that. You get to a point where literally people around you can't think. Mm. So bottom-up is so important for delivering something where you can't afford to fail. If if I'm getting on an aircraft and somebody's you know, serviced the engine, I want somebody who's bottom-up. I really do. I don't want a top-down politician. Well, we're going to do our best and we'll, we'll give it a good brush out and we'll hope for, you know, hope for the best. No, no. I want somebody who knows where every little part is. I want somebody who's tapped everything. I want somebody who's who's got that sort of, you know, that nose where, where, of where things don't work. And, and they, they need to do an amazing job. And that way the aircraft will be safe as they all are. They employ a lot of people who are bottom up, who yeah. just go through and they're meticulous and they won't let anything out of their sight until it works perfectly. That's exactly what you need. So in a situation we can't fail, you need that. In a situation where you need to bring about change and you need that change to be brought about quickly, you need quite a bit of top-down thinking and you, you mustn't let yourself be held back too much by the here and now. So sometimes the bottom-up people can be saying, yeah, I know, but our systems can't cope with that. Our, you know, it'll overload our computers. Ooh, our staff, they're not trained for that. You can, you can imagine the sort of, you know, the, the issues in you know, trying to bring about, you know, a really big strategic change. And sometimes you have to say, well, you just got to do it. And uh, yeah, that's that's where a top down can can help. If, if it's going to be brought about sensibly, you, it can't be imposed in terms of just do it or else that that doesn't doesn't work. But more it's more about, I know I hear you. And I know it's gonna be hard. And it's good. And it's gonna be tough. But you just got to go and do it. Mm -hmm. So I think both of those thinking styles have their place. And I think bringing them together yeah. is important for anything. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you need a bit more of one. Sometimes you need a bit more of the other. Uh, it's a very good. Good point. What is also really important to think about is if you've got that journey in place, you've got an idea of where you want to be, looking back over the next, over 10 years, think about 10 years in the future, look back over that 10 years and say, I'll be really proud of X. I'll be really proud if we've got an AI engine working to do something. I'll be really proud if we've got our, our new, I don't know, processor line in place. I'll be really proud if we've got, you know, a great new user interface for something. Those, those are things that, you know, you would be really proud of. What does it take to deliver? 
over them. That would be really useful to think about what does, what's what, what's needed. But then you need to be making decisions. So if you're going to build a new microprocessor, you need to decide what, where, with who, how, how much you're going to invest, how you know, how long you're going to wait for it, how much better does it have to be than what's out there to be viable. All those decisions need to be made. And in order to make those decisions, you need to get information and evidence. And, and that information and evidence comes from external sources. So you might be looking into the environment. You might be saying, well, what's out there at the moment? Mm. And what trajectory is that on? How much faster is it getting at the moment? How much quicker? How much more powerful is it? And you might be looking at what your users really like. It's really good to go and have a look at the user community and make sure that you understand what they really need. What it, What is it that's really in this for the users? What is it that the users will really appreciate? One of the great failures, Steve Jobs' career was paved with you know massive success as well as quite massive failure. And one of the failures in Steve Jobs' area was that he he commissioned the Apple Mac, which was in itself a really well-liked machine by a certain group of people. And so back in the 90s-ish, it was the desktop pub publishing machine. If you wanted to produce fantastic quality print, fantastic documents, you know, in your workplace or even at home in those days, you, you got yourself an Apple Mac. They were amazing. The thing was, you couldn't plug anything into an Apple Mac. You, you, there was literally no spare port on it. Mm. And there's an interesting conversation that took place between the, the two founders of Apple, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, where um, Steve Wozniak went to Steve Jobs and he said, look, the, the Apple II, which was their previously really successful computer, that was loved by people because you could plug everything into it and port after port after port. Um, and, you know, the, the Mac didn't have anything. Couldn't plug a thing into it. And there was there was an obvious disconnect there. Steve Jobs was adamant that it was going to you know, sully the, the sort of the look of this beautiful, you know, machine. Steve Wozniak was much more attuned to what was going on out there. So it's important to get the right data, the right evidence, the right information to make the right decision and to make sure that you're taking account of the right sources. There's a wonderful story that's often talked around about in business. So there's a man standing about with a dog and some another chap comes along and wants to pet the dog. Dog. And he says, does your dog bite? And the man says, no, my dog doesn't bite. So the guy pets the dog, nearly gets his hand taken off. And he says, what's going on? You know, you, you, you said your dog doesn't bite. He said, yeah, that's not my dog. <laughs> You've got to ask the right question. Yeah. If you if you want to get sort of message from your, your audience about what you need, you've got to ask the right question. So if you ask the, the, the Mac user base in the 90s, what do you think about ports? They would say, we don't need them. No, absolutely no use. No good. No good at all to us. We don't want ports. That's why they bought a Mac, because they didn't need the port. Mm. If you went to the Apple II community, they would say, yes, we need ports. You've got to plug your stuff in. And so making sure you, you go to the right group of people is, is massively important. It's like a pollster. Mm. If, you, if you want to figure out what's going on in a general election, it's no good just standing outside of one particular place. If you go and stand outside of a discount store, you get one view. If you stand outside of maybe, I don't know, the local library, you get a different view. So it's, it's about where you stand in terms of you know, making sure you get you know, balance. Mm. And, and, trying, and one of the most difficult things is to predict, particularly when, when things are a little bit close to the boundary, what's going to happen in an election. Who's, who's going to go one way in, in America and it would be sort of a Democrat and Republican. In the UK, it's generally sort of Labour and Conservative. But, you know, is it going to be left? Is it going to be right? That, that can be quite quite tough to, to negotiate because it, it does come down to, you know, what happens on a day. Mm -hmm. It comes down to you know, being able to find the right group of people to be predictive. And so getting the right uh, inf information, getting the right source is vitally important.
And then there's this wonderful thing called attenuation, which mm. happens. And so we we naturally attenuate. Attenuate means making things smaller. You know, attenuation is like your volume control on your, your radio. So if your children are playing music and it's too loud, you turn it down. Great attenuation. What I do all the time, or sometimes I even just turn the thing off at the plug if I can't find the remote control. So attenuation is useful to us. We, we need that. And evidence and information is attenuated all the time. Good examples of this are averages. So we, we don't necessarily want to know about everything. So we take an average. Mm. We say, well, on average, you know, there's been so many, so many hours of sunshine today. On, on average, we've had a certain amount of rainfall. On average, we've made this much money per day from our sales we, we're just used to averages and and we don't generally dig into them too much in reality there's three types of averages there's a mean there's a median there's a mode and generally when we talk about you know an average we mean the mean mm-hmm. although that can be swayed <laughs> quite quite markedly all it needs is one big you know big thing and that can sway, sway your you know, you know your mean considerably so other types of averages can be useful but that that type of attenuation attenuation in reducing information is so vital so what i would do always in formulating a strategy thinking about getting the decision making in a company right i would do all of that top level work and i would think about how do you see your company evolving And then what decisions do you need to make? That's Mm. the next stage down. And people can generally talk to you about the decisions they would have to make in order to realise the future. Mm. But what they don't talk about so much is where do you get the information, the evidence, etc. to make those decisions? That's that's, that's the work of the analysts. We'll hand it over to the analysts. That's great. Should we just go and make sure that when we give that brief to the analysts, they're going to get it for you in a certain way and they're going to be able to deliver it for you in a certain way? And Because analysts can do all sorts of things and analysts always love information and data and they'll process it any old way that you, you they think is best. But if you can be really clear with you know your analyst on what you want you know what's the aim of this mm. is the aim to be really certain about a decision is the aim just to get rough you know idea is the aim to understand how wrong you might be that's a really critical one we talk about that in court cases what's the likelihood of this dna evidence not being from the suspect that's 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 used quite a lot in courts how often in business do we say what's the likelihood of this thing being wrong <laughs> You know, we don't do it so often. Sometimes we do. If it's a major decision, if we're going to crash the company, if we don't, maybe, yeah, maybe we will. But generally, when we're launching a new product, doing something different, realizing a new strategy, we don't go and do those tests. So that's vital. And it's, again, not a a particularly big piece of work often. I mean, unless we're talking about an international conglomerate where we're making thousands of decisions, it's not a massive amount of work. Going and checking that attenuation and making sure that we've got the right evidence sources to support that making sure that we know how we're attenuating and where we're attenuating. Do you know what the, the, the sort of most deadly type of attenuation is? No, what is that? The most deadly type is ignorance, actually. <laughs> ignorance is, is bliss. You know, there are lots of examples of where people have continued in complete ignorance. I mean, going back a long time ago, you know, the, the, the Titanic, there were, there were lots of areas where people put their head in the sand. Mm. They, they put their head in the sand when it came to lifeboats. You know, they decided that uh, the, the, the decks looked very ugly with all these lifeboats on them. Mm. And, and anyway, the thing's unsinkable. And you know, if you've, you've immediately labelled it unsinkable, of course. So, um, you know, one level of ignorance is that, um, you know, anything, a, a ship could sink. Every, every ship that sails on the sea could potentially sink. Mm. So it's really worth making sure, and legislation straight after the Titanic, actually, make sure that there is a lifeboat for every single person on every ship that goes to sea. So that level of ignorance was key. The 
ignorance about just how dangerous it was sailing at that speed on a ship that had no radar back in 1912 mm -hmm. with no binoculars in the lookout and and a very poor connectivity between the the guys who would ultimately see the iceberg in the first place and the bridge where you could stop turn etc mm. um, and and actually literally the ship went down due to ignorance because yeah. um, if if they that it was the first ship in the world i think that had watertight compartments in it so if the bottom of the ship flooded then basically it wouldn't just automatically go down you'd be able to seal each compartment oh, okay. if, if you if you basically hit something at the front and you'd made a really big hole in the in the bow of the ship then you could still stay afloat because you'd seal the watertight compartment at the front of the ship and then you'd probably call for help you'd probably still be able to, to, to sail for a bit you might have to go quite slowly but you could still get yourself out of trouble whereas traditionally ships that have been made before that they would go down because eventually the whole ship would flood all that water would come in it would drag the ship down more water would come in and it would sink the titanic was quite revolutionary they had 16 watertight compartments and if up to four of them were flooded, the ship could still stay afloat. Mm. Once you, you hit the fifth one, it was automatically going to go down. They hit five on that night. So if they'd been able to turn the ship just even maybe seconds before they did, if they'd only ripped a hole in four compartments, they could at least have stopped. They could have stopped in the middle of the Atlantic, conditions were calm, the ship would have stayed afloat, mm. they could have waited until they brought another liner on, alongside and they could have saved 1,500 lives. So ignorance is, you know, is, is, is bliss for some people, but it's absolutely, you know, in, in these situations, it can kill people. Yeah. And ignorance is, 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 you know, the best attenuator of information. And it's interesting to think about, you know, the number of times that we, we think, oh, gosh, I just I really don't want to know. I mean, there's people bring me these spreadsheets like Churchill talked about files, files, files. Yeah. People bring you things and the nuggets of information in there can sometimes make a huge difference to your business. But how do you capitalise on them? How do you do what the organisation that I talked about in the first sort of episode of this series did? How do you capitalise on something that's in a, a new market that's changing quickly? How do you really get yourself into that new market and make a difference mm. very, very quickly? That's, that's always the challenge. And so making sure that we can make the most of that evidence, make the, most, make the best decision possible, use attenuation in our favour. You know, you, you can't get rid of attenuation. That's, you know, that's what sort of people do to politicians. When politicians say, show me all the evidence and information, they get it all. You know, here's gigabytes of data. Here's a thousand printouts. Nobody's mm. going to look through that. That's, that's useless. Mm. But that, the wrong averaging, the wrong um, attenuation is also useless to us. So as, as business leaders, what's, what's important about this is to really consider the way in which your attenuation is performed on those key decisions. And again, that's, that's the work of, you know, not very long. It doesn't take a great deal of time to go and look at that and make sure that the attenuation matches what you need. Make sure that the evidence and information matches what you need. Make sure that you're making those the, the, the right decisions. What, what do you think from the, the point of view of, of psychology in terms of sort of looking at the way in which attenuation of information is performed? Because we naturally attenuate things, don't we? We're, our brain is naturally attuned to attenuate. We, we will, will uh, you know, attenuate. We will you know, do that as we, as we go forward. What, what do you think about, uh, about that as, 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 a, as a psychologist? What's the, what's the learning from that, do you think? What exactly is attenuation? So attenuation is reducing information down. So we'll reduce information down with okay. averages. We'll reduce information down from, you know, rather than you know, gigabytes of data, we'll say, here's a representative person. 
you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take a persona. That's always a good attenuation. So we're representing the 10,000 people we want to sell our product to. Here's a persona. It's someone who's 50 years old. It's someone who lives in, you know, a wealthy neighborhood. It's someone who drives a certain sort of car. It's someone, there's a persona for you. That's an attenuation. Yeah. So all the people who buy your product do not live in that neighborhood. They are not necessarily wealthy. They aren't that age, etc. But attenuating information down is, is trying to reduce it so you can use it. And there's, there's sort of ways of reducing information so it's really useful. It's like the sources that you would take for a, for a paper. You know, you can take really good sources for a, for a sort of a paper, for, for college, for a sort of to, to, to submit as, a, as an academic. And, you know, you could also find some lousy sources and you can write a terrible paper, you know. And you, you, the, the only way of knowing is, is peer review. You know, your peers will tell you, hey, that's a terrible paper. You know, you haven't considered this, you haven't considered this, you haven't considered this. Or your peers might say... Wow, amazing. You've considered all the sources that are that are, you know, useful in this area and you've you've produced a great paper. Mm. So so in terms of sort of from the psychology perspective, what's the you know, why is it that we reach for attenuation, do you think? What makes it so comfortable for us? I say it's just very uh, a comfortable you know, we don't like you said, we don't want to be too overloaded with information mm. and so just getting just an average, just a simple average, you know, would be easy for us to just follow. It's comfort. We we reach for comfort. Definitely. We do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I think that's that's really true. I think it's, you know, and sometimes those things that we reach for as 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 comfort, you know, they're 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 good. It's like comfort food. You know, once in a while have, you know, a really, really sugary snack and, and, and enjoy it. But if you're living on those sugary snacks, particularly year in, year out, that's maybe not going to be so great for your health. Mm. So it's it's perhaps about just making sure that in business we we have the right sort of level of comfort that yeah. we're, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of challenging ourselves and looking at what we don't necessarily want to look at sometimes. But we also make sure that we, you know, we have that comfort zone of being able to go back to, you know, to see how the factory is doing, to see how the, you know, the things that are going, go, the, the, the sort of the new product line that's, you know, we'd expect to be, you know, working really well is, is, is going. That's that's our comfort. But it's, it's that balance. You know, people like Richard Branson have strived to push the boundaries on those. I mean, you might say, well, why, why would a billionaire constantly go putting his life in danger as he he did over many years you know mm. flying um sort of balloons to places people have never flown balloons he he crossed the channel twice in a, a speedboat across another channel but across the atlantic in a speedboat mm. and uh, on one occasion there wasn't very much left of the speedboat by the time that they got to the other side of the atlantic and they they, they celebrated on the, the second attempt when they got past the place where the first one sunk mm. the, the hull split on the, the, the first boat so you might say well why would would anybody do that but it's about pushing the boundaries. It's about not uh, sort of relaxing into that comfort zone and just doing the same old, same old. I think that's really important. And that really does hit hit, hit on the, the sort of the key things of this, which is about how do you challenge yourself to go and sort of make the best decisions possible? How do you challenge yourself to get out of your comfort zone and the, the best possible evidence, the best possible approach to decision making? And uh, what can we do? What do we, what do, we do to, to try and inform our decisions in the best possible way? This is the Evolving Enterprises podcast, stories of growth and transformation. Thank you for listening. Thank you.